Hi, beautiful people, and welcome to another episode of Sharings with Shama. Uh, I call this podcast From Darkness to Light, and why do I do this? It's because I've spent most of my life living on a dark note, if you can say that. I've had a beautiful life. I've had lots of love in my life. I have four beautiful children. I have one granddaughter and I have many friends. I have beautiful sisters and their families. And there's a lot of goodness and has always been in my life. But there has been something inside of me that has not been, what shall I say? Yeah, has not been bright and shiny and joyful and okay. Uh, I can honestly say that more or less since I was perhaps three, four years old, I've been in doubt and questioning who I am, why am I here, what's my purpose, do I belong anywhere, Uh, is there a place for me, am I welcome, do they really like me, yes or no, how do they perceive me now, Uh, I've always been extremely concerned about what other people think of me. Uh, I've never been grounded in my own being. I've been uh, very successful in areas. Uh, When I was young in sports, I was really, really bright at school. I didn't have to study. Uh, All of a sudden, when I became like 14, um, I somehow went from like, you know, the ugly little uh, duckling to some kind of more beautiful swan. I did not understand anything of what happened then because I was super shy and introvert. And I must say that my life has been kind of shadowed uh, from what happened to me when I was a tiny, tiny little baby, uh, came into this world not being welcome, uh, being abused, just my early, early days. And uh, I guess that kind of my idea of it is that my essence left me and then I kind of struggled, struggled, because I think that if if we shut down on our essence early, I think we become the people who struggle because we are not whole and there is always something missing, but we don't know what it is. So that's where I come from and that's how I live my life trying to make things work, trying to make things better, you know, but not knowing the way, not knowing the path, never having any goal. My life has always been a coincidence, like a big snowball effect. Um, I saw an ad in the paper when I was 22. Uh, They were looking for air traffic controllers. I applied for that education I got accepted after several tests and that was like a big, big thing because there were so many applicants and I was one of 25 who got accepted. We were paid like a big high salary while we were studying. So we were actually employed as students and uh, that was just a coincidence, you know. It was nothing I ever wanted. The next move, uh, I lost that job because my husband died and I couldn't stay in that area of, of airplanes. And, you know, so I lost that job when I was 27. And then I entered into kind of a graphic design 
uh, area, territory, which was a total coincidence. I don't know why that happened, really. It was never a drive or a goal. Um, it was maybe thanks to my mom because she was she had a, a, a book publishing company. So she taught me some about that. And then I applied for an education. I got accepted. So I studied for a couple of years. And then I got a job at an IT company where I founded an educational uh, graphic design educational department which was also successful, and it was just a coincidence. You know, uh, I applied for a job that was nothing in this area, and then I got the opportunity to create this department, and, well, I went from husband to husband, new child to new child. It was nothing planned. There was one, my, my youngest, she's very planned. She's like a test tube baby, so she was very wanted, and um, but honestly, why do someone get a fourth kid? It's not like there's no need for it. There's no like deep longing for it. And if it is, in my in my sense, it was a way, a try to make things right again. You know, to make family. Uh, to me, I have this vision, this longing for family, and I thought unconsciously that if I create a family for myself you know if I can love my kids and they have a loving surrounding and then I guess I wanted to be part of that I think for for every new try I did to create a new family I think I always included the young me in that you know I think I always wished that I had me as a mom that I could actually be one the fifth child in this constellation and so I always kind of try to to get rid of my pain and my suffering and my dark side by creating something I became an inventor I invented kids products I started a company and that became also successful and I was fortunate enough to be able to sell that uh, after five years and then I just divorced it was a really really messy divorce it was a super bad relationship with a lot of abusive actions and alcoholism and it was super, super difficult. And I got out of that and I felt a sense of freedom. I got to sell my company. And then at the same point, you know, when you're supposed to be very, very happy, you have money in the bank, your kids are healthy. I had a big house. I had, you know, a nanny paid for. I had like materially... I had everything I could ask for, and I was still totally deep down inside miserable. Very, very kind of, my life was very, very, yeah, there was like a shadow of unhappiness from early, early childhood of longing, feeling like I was the big error in in life. So... That's a long story why I call this From Darkness to Light because I want you to know that I guess I guess that I've been into like these extreme dark corners of the mind. I would not say the dark corners when it comes to, you know, the suffering, the amount of suffering, physical suffering that a human being can go through. I have experienced great losses, uh, I've experienced abuse, 
I lived as a codependent person. I have been an alcoholic, uh, but I have not been, you know, in a war zone, a refugee or uh, under extreme poverty or, you know, materialistically, if it's, it's that word. I've always been okay. You know, my mom struggled with financial issues when we were kids. We grew up very poor, but that was not an issue. You know, we always had food and and the house and uh, there was not, we got to go on vacation. So absolutely everything has been really okay for me. I was not sexually abused as a child. I mean, this is the thing. If you can't compare unhappiness, you can't compare misery because we don't know what our being can handle. You know, we don't know our uh, level of resilience, what we are born with, and we don't know how this affects us, and we don't know our life path. I am certain that I was meant to be born into my family. I was meant to suffer uh, what I did the early years. Uh, It was meant to affect me because I'm here now. There was like a deeper, deeper hidden meaning for me to go all, go through everything I did because I'm here now talking to you. If one of all the events that happened to me hadn't happened, my life would have been different. It's like every little step took me somewhere, made a turn, you know, a choice. So... Today I'm really, really grateful for everything I've been through because it means that I have, I I see life as learning. You know, I've gathered so much knowledge and wisdom and I feel it's a gift and it's a blessing for me to be able to share some of it with you. And hopefully if I can help one of you with what you are struggling with, then I feel I've done a lot. So that's why this podcast is called From Darkness to Light, because now, and I'm so grateful to be able to say this, my life is different. I no longer have this kind of living in the shadow side. I don't, lo- I don't have this uh, level of sadness and grief and loss and anxiety inside. I'm not afraid. Uh, I used to be so fearful, you know. I used to measure everything I did with what you would think of me. So, and I'm, I feel, you know, I have a level of peace inside. I have a lot, level of joy inside that is not depending on outer, you know, events and confirmation and good things happening. And for me to be able to say that, that I would, and that I would be a person that actually enjoy mornings, I love waking up, you know, to start a new day. I love having breakfast. I love my little contemplations in the morning. I read my book and uh, I gather some wisdom. I have a lovely breakfast every morning. I have either oatmeal, you know, with blueberries and lots of like Christmas spices and, and raisins and almond milk. I always enjoy my coffee. When I go to bed at night, I can just like feel, oh, I long to wake up in the morning and have my coffee. So for me to wake up in the morning and feel joyful and happy, that's something I've only had for like four, 
four and a half year. So will it last? I honestly, from where I am today, I think it will. If I take this day and make make it a good one, if I care for me a lot today, if I care for other people, if I continue on the path I am at, which is a path of joy and happiness and peace, it's not a destructive, self-destructive, you know, going down, spiraling, negative thoughts, thinking path any longer. I actually have the ability to choose what I want this day to be about. And before, I never felt I had a choice. When I was addicted, uh, you know, when I was an addict, doesn't matter if it was food or if it was alcohol or, or if it was confirmation and or self-harming behavior, um, I never felt I had a choice. And I think that this is, this is something where, you know, when we can um, disagree, some people think that you can just stop. You always have a choice. You can always choose to drink or not drink. You can choose to, you know, harm yourself or not. You can choose to do drugs, yes or no. It's not like that. You know, when you're an addict, you don't have a choice. The choice left you long, long, long time ago. Something else is running your life. And after a while, it's, a dr- it's the drug, it's the escape. And the more you fuck up, you know, the more consequences you get, the bigger the need for the escape. So I'm saying this because I want you all to, to be gentle towards addicts, to understand that there is actually nothing, no addict wants to be one. Um, this is just the case. I know that for every addict, a dream is a clean life. You know, a clean life where they feel loved and safe and happy. So if we can lessen our judgment towards addicts, and when I say addict, that might be you. That might be you taking the glass of wine every day. Might be you eating this pint of ice cream every day. Might be you going to the gym twice a day, once a day, you know, under an anxiety you know, rush or feeling stressed or under pressure or unhappy. So for me, an addict is someone who does something compulsively to feel better, to get relief, you know. And uh, somehow you think, I'm not going to do this today, but you can't avoid it. So it can be, it doesn't have to be major, you know. You don't have to be the one lying in the gutter. Um, It can be you sitting in front of the TV, watching another episode on Netflix, thinking, oh, I so wish I did take care of this and that instead, or, you know. Okay, so I've decided, because I'm today I'm going to talk about suicide, and this is a topic that I, there is so much to say, so I think I'm going to make several episodes about it, And this episode, I'm going to talk a little about my background. I'm going to talk about what happened to me, where I come from. And I'm also going to try to give you an insight to that dark place, you know, 
what it is like to be there. Um, the thing is that, and I'm saying this to you, everyone who suffers from like depress depression or have suicidal thoughts or thinking that you are nobody needs you and there's no point with your life and every 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 day is a long struggle you know you just want it to end uh, it would be a gift a blessing to have a cancer verdict i just want you to know that when you're not in that position situation you can't really understand what it is to be there and i'm saying this because i'm not in a situation or a position where i don't want to live at the moment i haven't had that thought i haven't had that feeling uh, in five years and for me this is a very very long time to not have suicidal thoughts and thinking life is pointless and there is no point at all with me living um five years of freedom from that thought actually makes me not understand what it is to be there and i find that is that is such a that is such a revelation you know to understand that someone a person who has been more or less suicidal for 48 47 47 years can come to a point where she doesn't understand how it feels. I can't really relate to how I felt then. And for me, this brings so much so much light, so much joy into the the whole suicide kind of topic because I thought that and and my also I have um I feel that science and doctors they think that if you have this suicidal kind of depressive um side or that you your life is jeopardized the whole life is not something that you can kind of leave that is going to follow you forever and ever and ever and you need to medicate you need to kind of work and do this and that always 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 because to avoid it happening again and um, i don't think so i think that it's actually possible for that whole past i mean my 47 years of being more or less sad and not question, questioning my point and purpose in life i think that um that can actually be in the past i don't think my life has to be circling around that at, at all anymore so right now where i'm sitting i'm in my summer house with my dogs they're sleeping it's very beautiful the sun is shining it's winter i don't r recall how it felt inside of me that dark corner of my mind is no longer dark it's like it's like there has i've added so much light to my life and to my being that the dark corners 
you know, there is not even, I can't, I can't crawl in there. Of course, I can become anxious at times. Of course, I become sad. But before, sadness was immediately dropped down into the cellar of my mind. And with that sadness became the questions, why does this happen to me? What is the purpose? What is the point? And no one loves me. And I went down so fast, you know. I had to really, I must say that there was one thing that alcohol actually did for me. It elevated my mind, my energy system. So suicide, for those of you who are new to me, I made my first suicide attempt when I was 19, a year after my dad passed away. I was living with a criminal person in a very, very insecure surrounding without any support. I was an alcoholic, I drank six nights out of seven, I worked in a nightclub and uh, one day I took some pills, not too many, so when the ambulance came I walked out into it and I got to be home a couple of hours later, so it was a, a call for help, I did not receive any help. Back then you didn't go to therapy or you know... It was more like, wow, that's weird, you know. Why did she do that? That's weird. And I think my mom and my 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 boyfriend at the time went with me. I was super skinny, really underweight and bulimic. And uh, yeah, so that was the first time. The second time uh, was when I was 26. Uh, I lost my fiancé in a plane crash. And uh, June, July, August, and four months after this, and I've struggled four months with every day I wanted to die. Every, every single day for four months I wanted to die. And eventually one day I decided I'm going to, so I did. I took all the pills I had at home and um, I don't know if it was the dad of my kids or if it was my mom, but one of them felt like something is not right. She's not answering the phone and they connected and one of them had keys to my house and came over and called an ambulance. And then I got, um, in, yeah, I was locked up in an institution for three weeks. I was 26 at that time. And the last time was five years ago, almost exactly uh, February 6th, I think. Well, in, in a couple of weeks, it's five years ago. And that's like about a month after my husband at that point left me. Uh, I just had enough of lying and alcoholism and everything. And I said, this doesn't work anymore for me. And he took a suitcase and he left after five and a half years together. And I went down rapidly. So, uh, and at that point also, I sent Rachel a text saying, I can't do this anymore and I'm sorry. And I took all the pills I had at home and uh, went to bed. And she, um, and this is something I'm so, so deeply sorry about. Henry, just... So this scratchy little noise is my dog Henry walking out. I can't do anything about it, uh, but my producer, Yuan, he will say, that was not a good thing. Henry, stay still. 
okay, so I, I want to return to this, that I'm, I'm really sorry I put Rachel through this. And at the same time, I'm really grateful I did, because otherwise no one would have come. So she sent, I called my ex-husband and forced him to go to my apartment with a locksmith and called the ambulance immediately. And they came and opened the door and uh, the ambulance staff uh, got me going again. They cut off my, my, my clothes and shirt and just kick-started me. And then they took me to the intensive care and I woke up in the hospital like 24 hours later surrounded by girlfriends and my sister. And that was five years ago. And something happened then. I don't know what happened, but something shifted. Um, I got some kind of wake-up call because I got, at that point, I that was my biggest fear, that I would become that sad again so I would commit suicide. So therefore, I've been trying to, you know, to control my life, to lead a happy life, to always, always try to provoke happiness, to pretend happiness, to, you know, I've been on such a spiritual seeking journey uh, with lots of affirmations and meditations and stuff, try to be happy, but it didn't work for me. You know, I tried to commit suicide once again at my third big loss in life, and I became like that. What is what's wrong with me? Something must be wrong here. It's not kind of normal that a person tries to commit suicide every time someone she loves dies or leaves, you know? There are three three men in my life. My father, Stefan, who died in the plane crash, and then my ex-husband, that I feel that these three people, I really love them with my heart. And I lost them and I couldn't handle it. And I was thinking about my stepmom. You know, she came from a super solid background, mom and dad, cute family, uh, very healthy. She was super supportive. When she met my daddy, she said, no, we're not getting any more children, you and I. We are taking care of your three girls. She was that kind of person. She was my rock. She never had any psycho, you know, um, breakdown. She had cancer for 30 years. She survived so many kind of surgeries and chemos. And she was like, she was, had a, a mood that was solid. You know, she was never depressed. She was never low in the way me and my sisters and my mom and dad were low, you know. And I felt there is something genetically different here. And her upbringing was super solid, you know, no divorces, no early previous death, you know, no traumas in her family. It was very, very different. And when I looked to my mom and dad, I could see so much trauma, so much misery. And when I looked to my, my grandmother on my mother's side, you know, she lost almost her whole family when she was five. And I can just see there's something genetically uh, wrong with me. Something makes me a person who cannot stand losses, you know, who just wants to uh, close, you know, when, when I go down, I go down too fast. Something drops in my system that no light can enter. And I just felt like, what is this about? So I began to inquire 
what is the matter with me? And after this third attempt, I was for the first time, uh, I got m- m- medicine. You know, they prescribed me um, antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicine. And I was just, for the first time in my life, I said, I'm going to take them. I'm going to take them because I don't want to, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to end up at that point in my life where there is no light, where there is only darkness. I don't want to do this anymore. And now I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to tell you what it is just the moments before, before you do it. I don't know how it is for other people. I can tell you that you think about it, you contemplate about it for a very, very, very long time. In my case, for years and years and years. And then I had good moments and I had loving moments and I had children. And then, But there was always like a returning, why am I here? What is the purpose of me? And, you know, and whenever life went bad, I went low. And I felt like really questioning myself, trying, 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 trying to be happy. But the days and weeks before a suicide attempt... It's like you are walking in a tunnel and the tunnel gets smaller and smaller and it gets darker and darker and eventually in the in the beginning you hear people people can reach you then call you and they can talk to you and they can touch you with their arms you know you can still feel a connection to other people when you're walking in the tunnel and there is also an opportunity to turn around and go out of it. But it's like it comes to a point when, you know, something, there was something that happened that night. I think it was a friend was supposed to come visit and stay with me because I was I was really freaked out, you know. I was very panicky and I felt my, I really felt super, super uh bad and she was supposed to come and stay with me and I really needed her to come and she didn't show up and I called and I asked and then she was out on something else and I I don't know what happened but I I feel and this is absolutely no guilt or blame because other people have their own lives and she did not know where I was at this is the thing it's impossible to communicate to the outside world where you are at. And I don't think we even know ourselves that we, in an instant, took 10 steps into the dark tunnel. It's not like, it's not you have zero awareness when you are here. It's, it's you know, the tunnel, it blackens out sound. It blackens out connection with people. Uh, it's... It's kind of a, it's very, very difficult to describe, but eventually at one point, the the point when you can look back and walk out of this tunnel, eventually at one point, someone closes the door, something closes the door, there is no opening behind you. There is like, and I would say that this is the worst. Um, I don't. I'm not going to cry right now, but I can really feel it in my system. That that night before, 
it was just this, you know, I know that I can't do this anymore. It comes to a point when, when everything gets too much, it's just too overwhelming to continue. And I think that when you know I can't do this anymore, I think that's when you have crossed the line, you know. Then from there, in the morning, I woke up in the morning, I went, I was supposed to meet a, a, a colleague. We had a meeting at a hospital. We were with my company, my innovations, and uh, I I told her, I can't, I can't take this meeting, you have to take it alone. So I met her outside the hospital. I, I gave her all the, the, the products she needed. And uh, afterwards she said something was very, very wrong. She also called my, I think she also called my ex-husband and said, uh, alerted him, or if he called her, I don't know. But anyhow, I just left her there. I went home uh, to my dogs and I just, you know, went to bed. I texted Rachel and then I took all the pills and that was that. It was really like I knew that this was going to happen before. Um, and I can't say that. I don't even recall meeting my colleague. I don't even recall how did I manage to drive the car in the morning. And I just know that when I, when I went to bed and after, like, when I took the first pills and I just felt this enormous sense of relief... I just felt like floating in a bubble is like like it's like the darkness, all the darkness that is surrounding you, all the tightness to squeeze, you know, the little little space, the tiny space that is left for you in the dark. All of a sudden that is kind of given giving way for something bright. So I know that as I lie there, I know I have a sense of floating. I have a sense of being in like in a in an air bubble, and that air bubble is just light and it's soft and warm, and there's no pain in there. It's absolutely pain free. And uh, then I woke up in the intensive care. This is, this is how I can describe suicide for you as good as I can. And I don't know if when I talk about it now, I still, I still can't recall the darkness, you know. I can't recall the pain, the suffering, you know. But I can recall the... Uh, texture of it somehow I can feel I was there but it doesn't scare me this is also when I woke up you know after it I, I just felt like what the fuck is this why am I the person who does this why am I not the person who think about it but don't do it I mean there are so many people who are suicidal you know who really think that there's no point with my life I I'm, I have people in my life connecting, reaching out to me on Instagram or WhatsApp. And like for years now, they are telling me, I don't want to live. But they don't commit suicide. What is the difference with us who do 
and those who don't. And I became like, what the fuck? Who am I even? Why am I? What's, what differs me from other people? And I really, really began to, and when I got these medicines, you know, when I became, uh, I began to eat this, I don't know what it's called, like, yeah, it's some kind of antidepressant. It's not, it was not even high doses. It was super low. It was like 10 milligrams. And I took it every morning. And after a couple of weeks, I woke up with a different mindset, a different mood. And I remember after months, I remember saying to a friend, honestly, is this how your life has been your whole life? I mean, you you don't wake up in the morning unhappy. And I have woken up every morning more or less being unhappy. And now I don't. Is this how normal people live their lives? And she's like, I, I can't really relate to what you're talking about, but... Yes, it's true. I don't wake up unhappy and feel that my life is pointless. And I just felt like after being on, on these meds for a couple of months, I began to realize that this is a life that kind of was deprived of me, that I was most likely entitled to. The feeling of waking up in the morning after a good night's rest and be okay. You know, you, you just... Pull, pull up the curtains and you see sun is shining or it's raining. It doesn't matter. You just feel okay. And I just felt, wow, this is something, something must be chemically wrong in me because I never felt this before. And also anxiety. Uh, of course, I was anxious if, after this happened. I blamed my ex-husband so much for leaving the way he did, for not taking responsibility for our relationship, you know, for not hanging in there, for not going to therapy with me, for hooking up with new girlfriends just one week, two weeks after we split up. You know, I blamed him for everything, but just, you know, for being as he was during our relationship. And of course, he kept being that after we divorced. But I was so full of blame, you know. I couldn't take responsibility for my own actions. And I realized that when I was on these medications, bit by bit, my sanity returned, you know. I became calmer. When I was anxious and I took one of these anti-anxiety pills and I calmed down, my nervous system calmed down and I just realized that there is something chemically imbalanced in me and I need to do something about it. I began to research. I did a lot of research on the internet and I can tell you on suicide, it's not much available to us. Um, a friend on Instagram, she shared with me this morning her, her fiancé is suicidal, so she's looking forward to me sharing about this. And she said that she also Googled a lot and there is only like these suicide hotlines you can call but it's not much information out there. And I was thinking that when I was sitting there doing research, I came across some research. Uh, one thing that I learned myself when I was in the hospital for three weeks was that my blood pressure is super, super low, always been really, really low. When my my kids, my, my first kids were two and four, um, 
I passed out. I was walking them uh, with a stroller downtown and I just passed out and was immediately taken to like a doctor's and my blood pressure was like something 70 over 45 or something. Anyhow, he, he said that it's you, you're not going to be able to take care of your kids with this low bl- blood pressure. And the only two things you can do is either medicate or exercise. But I already did a lot of exercises. You know, I ran a lot and uh, I played football still at that point. So, and he said that we need to medicate you. So I had for a full year, I was on medication to raise my blood pressure. And during the hospital, they come in and they check, they check you every day, my status, you know. And my blood pressure was super low. It's always been low. Like normal for me is 90 over 50 or 85 over 50 or something. If I have over 100, then it's high blood pressure. And they say it's super healthy for your body, but you become very, very tired. I was the type of person who fell asleep during class at school. Um, You can sit and you just sit and wait and then you fall asleep. And... uh, in the hospital, my blood pressure was on those super low levels. And I began to think, like, and I woke up in the hospital, was not happy. I mean, the first weeks in hospital, I was not happy. But I had a, a sense of, I want to live. Um, but after I got my cup of coffee in the morning, my mood went up. And I'm like, what is this? How come I, I love coffee? How come I love coffee so much? Because my body loved coffee. And then I realized that coffee is actually raising the blood pressure. And I, as I was the first six months when I did a lot of research on suicide, uh, there was nothing around blood pressure, low blood pressure and mood. And I don't know, I am not a science-based you know, person. I'm just doing this for, for me and now a big, big, big boat is passing by. Uh, the sound is going to be a bit messy and you have to live with that unless your one can cut this out somehow. But I came to realize that if I took a cup of coffee early in the morning, I was happier because my blood pressure went up. So I had like, okay, what if it is like this, that depressed people, suicidal people, we actually are chemically imbalanced, you know, there's something not really right with our serotonin levels and most likely um, other hormones too, adrenaline, cortisol, because I can tell you a suicidal person with these negative thoughts, we are high on adrenaline and cortisol. Our hormones are totally, you know, they are running uh, berserk in our bodies. So um, anyhow, this coffee thing and the blood pressure made me think of what else is wrong in my body? Uh, How do I even feel and so on? So I did some tests on my hormones and uh, my blood. And it turned out I was super, super low in vitamin B, for example. I was super low in vitamin D and uh, my hormones uh, were totally wrong. Everything, my serotonin level was, it was so much less. I think if you have 100%, uh, the doctor who it was, I had to send like saliva samples to, to the US 
And it came back like saying that you have a normal level of certain, you don't even have 100% when you are 100% okay. It's like some have a lot, that's the happiness hormone, and some have much less at their ground level. And when things happen, like a, a death or, you know, a loss, then that level drops and it drops really, really fast. And that's why we get antidepressants. But we can also make the body create, you know, help the body create more serotonin ourselves. So there I began to see, okay, what can I eat? What kind of supplements can help me? I've always been a pineapple junkie. Never knew why, but I always loved pineapple. And then it turns out that pineapple has a substance called tryptophan. And that is part of this, that uh, is part of the kind of what creates serotonin in the body. But you have to eat like 25 pineapples to have some kind of effect. And that's, that's quite difficult. So anyhow, I began to eat something called 5-HTP. I ate uh, vitamin B complex. I ate a lot of vitamin C. Um, I began to exercise because this was, and this was my own theory, that what if the blood pressure thing is actually doing something really harmful to my being? Uh, the coffee in the morning became like, that's what I need. And I began to run you know, every day a little to try to, you know, see what positive effect does this have on me. And I can say that this first year when I begin to kind of investigate into suicide and investigate into, and also I researched facts and statistics about suicide. And this is like, this is so sad. It's good I have this, I have this fuck you attitude, don't tell me what to do, yes or no. You know, when the doctors in the hospital, I came to a psychiatrist to see him and I began to talk, why does this happen to me? And he, has, uh, he, he was like, yeah, we have to, to get the, the right diagnosis on you. And I said, but I don't think actually something is wrong with me. Uh, I don't think I have a diagnosis. And he was... <laughs> Do you know what? During all my years in this field, I've always been able to diagnose every patient. I am sure I'm going to succeed with you too. And he made me fill in forms where I had to answer if I pulled the legs out of beetles when I was a kid, if I abused my siblings, if I bullied my friends at school and this and that. And I was like, I don't know what this is if I was insensitive to pain. And there were so many questions that I felt like, what, what is this? What, what does he want to diagnose me as? And I filled in the form and then I left him and I said, you know what? I don't believe in this. I don't believe. And he said, you are either bipolar or you are depressed or you are this. There was something else. So I don't know. what. And I said that, you know what? I don't believe in this. I don't think there's something wrong with me like that I don't think I have a di you know a disorder or a diagnose I don't believe in it doesn't resonate with me so I left I kept taking the antidepressants for yeah a year almost a full year and I researched a lot and the statistics that I found was that if you tried to commit suicide twice or more 100% 
statistics, you're going to die from suicide. And I know when I read this, I began to cry. I got so scared. I called a friend and I said, I don't want to die of suicide. I don't want to die of suicide. I don't know. I, I just don't want to do it. And she kind of helped me and she said like, okay, okay, I hear you. You're not going to do it. But I got so scared and I just felt like I don't want to live the rest of my life being afraid of killing myself. You know, I don't want to be that statistics. I want to prove that statistics wrong. So here I am today. Mm. What happened next was, and this is a major, major thing. I'm telling you about the, the coffee and the blood pressure. I'm telling you about the chemical imbalance in my body, all the negative hormones due to all these negative thoughts and so on, and what we can do. Uh, I mean, what we can actually do to elevate our mood, you know, our thoughts, our negative thinking, that is also an addiction, that is also compulsive. We need help to break that. But we also need help to feed our body positive stuff. We need good food, we need supplements, we need exercise, you know, we need human touch, we need connection, really. We need help to get out of that black, dark tunnel, but we also need to support our physical beings because a suicidal person is not okay physically. Mentally, we are so broken and physically, we are actually not okay. And if we can fix a bit on the physical side, actually, it helps our mental state so much. I'm sure of it. So anyhow, um, after a year, um, a little more than a year after my third suicide attempt, I stopped drinking alcohol. Um, I have this blessing that God speaks to me at times, and he spoke to me in my bedroom on June 15th. He said, this is not working anymore, Shama. And I know it was, uh, it was the alcohol. And this is also a thing that alcohol has this. Uh, I use it. I used it then as medication. I, I, that's like, it made me feel less anxious. It gave me a release, a relief, an escape. A glass of wine was often just enough. Just one glass of wine, you know. I did not have to, I never, you know, the last year, I never drank myself to oblivion. I did not, I do not have any consequences. I never been to rehab. I never taking any like antabus or something. It's just that, but this one glass of wine compulsive, like I needed it every day. I just came down from work, you know, stress and everything. And at times I drank too much. And the night before this, the 15th, I drank too much. And I had consequences. I behaved really badly towards a guy I dated. And anyhow, I stopped drinking alcohol. I felt my life is over now. What do I do now? And then began a period of recovery. And when I say recovery, it's not only like the physical alcohol use recovery. It's a mental recovery. You know, the person you become when you drink. You know, the behavior you have. You have a lot of character defects, you know, and they kind of blossom under the influence of alcohol. I became very superior. I became very, you know, arrogant and uh, I was not humble at all. I despised people. I was envious and there was a lot of ugly strikes in my character. 
And when I stopped uh, using alcohol, six months later, no, September 4th, June, August, July, three months later, I stopped eating my antidepressants. So I ate them for one year and a half, like a good patient. It worked wonders for me because it elevated my mood. I realized I got an, like an explanation for all the previous years that there was something chemically not right in my body and I actually needed that. The thing is that when I removed alcohol, I it's like my serotonin levels elevated so much faster from all the supplements and all the good things I did. And also my consequences, you know, my I was never hungover. I never had like any negative consequences anymore for something I did. So this little sound is Henry coming back. Lie down. So, and so to remove alcohol from my life made me less anxious, less hungover, you know, less negative consequences, less shame, less guilt, which meant that my mood elevated. Uh, I became much calmer. So in September, I just uh, went from 10 milligrams to five. I just cut the, the pill in half. And then after a week, I forgot to take it. And then after a week, I realized, oh, I haven't taken it for a week. And then I just stopped. So it's now three and a half years ago. I stopped. I haven't taken any medication since then. I don't feel any need of it. Um, my mood is... I would never, I never thought I could say that and mean it that, but my mood is kind of stable. <clears throat> when I say stable, it's stable on the upper half of, if a mood is like from one to 10, I have a mood that varies from say six, seven to 10. And before, if I would go up to like a, I could have highs, of course. My life before uh, was always between one and then up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Now I would say I, I go between maybe seven and nine. Like maybe I'm an eight, like an average eight. I love the figure eight. Yeah, and to imagine that I, after living my life as I have after being, you know, in the dark corners of my mind that I have been, that I could be a person sitting here telling you that actually, if you are suicidal and you think that you are the biggest error on the planet and no, no one loves you, you know, it could be completely different. This life that I have right now is available to all of us. I, I don't think that we are kind of, that, that some people are, I think that we are born genetically different. I think some people are happier, you know, they have a chemistry inside that has more serotonin, more happy, more stable. Of course, our background, if we are born into a healthy, loving environment, you know, with parents who loves us, our life, we never enter into these, you know, parts of our mind. So I can just say that I, I think that behind every suicidal person, there is a childhood trauma. I think there is a chemistry that is different. 
And I think maybe, I don't know, it would be interesting to know if more people than I suffer from low blood pressure or also feel that they are a bit low in their mood or maybe suicidal. I think it would be a super interesting research to do to see if there is a connection here. I mean, of course, if your brain doesn't get enough oxygen because your blood can't push it up, how happy is your brain? For me, this is just common sense. But I can just say that there is so much that we can do to kind of um, change, you know, the physical. And I think also it's very, very difficult to have a, a mind that is sad and depressed in a body that is sad and, and low and doesn't function as it should. So, and this is also like, okay, I don't think we can fix the mind problem and ignore the body. I'm most certain that, and this is also so positive, since I came in, because I went to AA and I spent a few years there, I've never been around so many people who tried to kill themselves. I like, in my normal life, I was the one, you know, I was the only one who has, has done that. I don't have any friends who have done it. You know, in my family we have, but, but outside my family we don't have it. I don't have any friends who have tried to commit suicide. But in AA, there's like 8 out of 10 has tried or has checked them into the psych ward themselves because they are afraid they're going to do it. And I just felt like, okay, there is something about addiction, uh, you know, alcohol, drug use that makes us suicidal. And the question is, what's the hen and the egg? And I know that behind every addict, there is a childhood trauma. And the childhood trauma is most, uh, I think, for sure, the reason for our uh, addiction and our su suicidal, you know, behavior. So there is also, of course, a lot of healing to do. It's very, very important that we look into what happened to us as children and how can I heal this? Because I know that I don't want to be, I don't want to be a risk for, for other people. I don't want to, that other pe I want other people to be safe with me. I don't want my friends and family to be afraid that I'm going to kill myself. A colleague at work uh, a year ago, we had a conflict and she said, I don't dare to tell you what I think because then you might kill yourself. And I'm like, hello, this we need to talk about. So you mean that you kind of discriminate me or kind of walk uh, like on eggshells around me because you are afraid that something you would say or do would push me over the edge and make me commit suicide. And I said that this is not okay for me. This, sorry, but this is a problem that you have. I am not at that point in my life. And if you are fearful of that, then we have to talk about it. And you need to work around that. You need to work with your feelings in relationship to me. Because I'm not, I'm not going to carry my past with me today. So this is also something that is really, really important. We must let people be new. I want to be new with you every day. I don't want to be judged for what I did 
or who I was in the past. I want an opportunity to be you and to be me with you today. And I think everyone deserves that. I think the stigma around suicide, especially the fear, you know, the fear that it will happen again, the fear that you can't say, do think, uh, things because then that person might commit suicide. We have to talk about this. We need to find a healthy way, you know, to heal for the person who who is suicidal or has been in the past. We must help them to heal, offer good opportunities for that. And also we must work on ourselves. We must work on our fear. What is the deepest, deepest fear we have? And that is of death, you know, that someone is dying. And suicide is like a really a great friend of mine, a therapist. He said, Shama, do you know what? What you did, it's nothing. It's not so bad. You know, people are killing themselves slowly every day. Every, every day I meet people who are killing themselves with drugs, with alcohol, with cigarettes, with work, you know, with sex, with food. It doesn't matter, you know. It's just a faster, more humane way that you'd used, you know, snap and it's done instead of a lifelong suffering. And that gave me also some perspective, you know. So I want to tell you that if you have a person who is struggling with suicidal thoughts and is not, you know, what what you can do, um, well, that person can listen to this podcast. That person can for sure reach out to me, um, have a conversation, a talk. I often, when, when someone comes to me, I often work first of all on the basics. Is there an addiction involved? Is the person using something? You know, then that is like the first step because we can't become sane. We can't fully wake up as long as we are using. Uh, so that's now Henry is snoring here. Uh, so that's the first. The second is I want to look into the areas of food, of sleep, of exercise, of medication, you know. Uh, and I have a few recommendations that I can give, which is a good start of something. Because suicidal people, we don't love ourselves. The total opposite. We hate ourselves. We feel like we are the the worst person on the planet we are like and we can't stand living like that we can't stand living it's like living is too hard for us so to go from this self-loathing and hate to kind of think that you're a little bit okay you know then you can actually do good things it's also this little thing i didn't understand why people went to a spa I mean, why do you even do that? I didn't, I didn't get the benefits of it because if I was in the spa, I was still, you know, my mind was still racing. It didn't matter if I was in Costa Rica at the spa, you know, at work. It didn't matter. My mind was still racing. So I didn't get the benefits of self-care. I didn't understand self-care. So to add self-care, you know, elements of self-care into a person's life 
And I think also to talk about it, to really kind of understand that this person is in such a dark place and you don't want to be a burden to other people, so you feel you need to stay in that dark place on your own. Henry, you got to stop snoring. you got to stay in that dark place on your own because you can't pull people with you, you know, and that is like the, the biggest wrong. In that dark place, we need company because company doesn't work in that dark place. There's no space for you, which means that we have to step out. So connection, reaching out, caring, and sorry, I just have to do something about this talk. And, uh, and also adding a lot of self-care, love and care. This is also a lesson, the fear. Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. You can also say, I'm really scared. I'm really, I'm really scared of losing you. You know, I don't want to lose you. This is really like um, to have an honest conversation and, and not feel that if I speak about it, the person might do it. <laughs> That's like, it's like not, it's, 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 to have someone suicidal next to you is a person on a cliff you know, just on its way to take a step out of the cliff and you're not reaching out your hand. And that hand is like, you're not talking about it because if I say, hey, then the person will jump. So it's really like, and I think just to, to people kill themselves every day and actually it's just another way to die. There is no hell there's no devil, there's no, there's no like, if a person does it and succeed, this is also the thing, why don't I succeed? To me, God does not want me dead. God wants me here talking to you. But if a person succeeds, like Avicii, for example, if he or she does, I have, I feel only love and compassion, only love and compassion. This is like, that's the opportunity, that's, that's the kindest thing they could do. That was the loving thing to do, you know? This is how big the pain is. So I want everyone, and I also, I also want to say that if you lose someone to suicide, the guilt and the blame and what you could have done and what you didn't do and so on, we have to let that go. You know, we have to let God decide what is right and wrong. If we take on guilt and blame for someone else's, you know, dying, then we are playing God in their life. We have to trust that this path was the right path for that person. Even though we hurt, we have to trust that there is a bigger meaning that we don't understand. I know nothing about suicide. I know nothing about why. I know nothing about what happens after. I don't know anything about anyone else's experience. I know about myself, what I've been through, what I have, you know, and I know nothing about tomorrow. And I just feel that for me, everything becomes so much easier, and especially suicide, if I give that over 
to God. It's not mine to judge, decide, you know, feel guilty or shame about. There is actually suicide is also part of God's plan. Even though we think we can control it. So for all of you who lost someone to suicide, I want you to relax. I want you to feel at peace and to know that that was the most loving thing the person did for him or herself. And God actually is part of that too. That's also part of life. And I know that if you are suicidal and you struggle, that's not, that's not what God wants. There's no suffering and pain needed. Henry, you just have to stop. I don't know what to do with this little dog. I am super, super sure that God wants us to be happy and joyful and live good lives to our full potential. And uh, there is absolutely a way out of that dark point. There is a different life waiting for you, just as a different life was waiting for me. And I'm living it right now, and I intend to live it for as long as I can, one day at a time. And that's all we got, suicidal or not, that's all we got, one day at a time. Okay, I'm going to finish this first episode around suicide now. It became much longer than I planned. I hope this brings you some light. And um, um, yes, it's always so difficult to end my, my talk as of this dog. <laughs> should, should I just end it with Henry snoring in the mic? <laughs> Maybe that's a really, really good ending. Okay, Henry, bring it on. I don't know if you hear him. Okay, beautiful people, lots of love to you wherever you are at. And I wish you peace. Peace.